Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. On April 20th, 1999, Craig Scott's older sister Rachel dropped him off in front of their high school so he wouldn't be late for class. Craig was a sophomore and Rachel a senior. Hours after their morning drop-off, Rachel and 12 other Columbine High School students was dead. Even though I was only eight years old on April 20th, 1999, I remember all the ways that we as a nation tried to make meaning of the unimaginable terror of two teenagers planning and acting out a mass shooting in their own school. I remember hearing that it was because of video games or rock music or bullying. And those themes continued throughout my years in school. The Columbine shooting shaped my educational experience. The bomb threat started when I was in middle school. I remember in high school, a letter was sent home to our parents saying that a threat had come in for that Friday and giving our parents permission to let us stay home from school that day. Another day that same year, I remember leaving my high school while police guarded us from the roof of the school with guns. Thankfully, there were no shootings in my school, but the fear was very real. And I know it is even more real today for, for youth who are now living in, not only in the shadow of Columbine, but also in the years after Sandy Hook, Connecticut, and Parkland, Florida. We live in a surreal time where children are expected to know how to respond to an active shooter before they are supposed to learn how to drive a car. In the 20 years since Columbine, our world and the way that we relate to tragedy has changed significantly. We now have access to the news 24 hours a day, and many of us carry smartphones that alert us whenever something terrible happens. And the terrible things are happening, and they keep happening. And when they do, we also have the ability to log on to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and say exactly what we're thinking about what has happened. And along with the fear that has lived in our hearts throughout all of these tragic events, something else has, an, has emerged. The complete panic of what to say when something really, really bad happens. At this moment, I can think of at least half a dozen bad things that are happening right now, and I'm trying to think, what's the best thing for me to say? What's the best thing for me to say about a possible war with Iran? What's the best thing for me to say about the impeachment trials? What could I say about families that are being separated by deportations? What can I say about natural disasters? There's a lot going on. What do we do? What do we say? A large part of my training for chaplaincy and ministry was to learn that the most 
the, that the worst thing to say when something happens is the easiest thing to say. And the easiest thing to say is something that we've heard over and over and over again. I learned the word platitude. A platitude is defined as a remark or a statement, especially with moral content, that is used so often it becomes no longer interesting or thoughtful. Some classic examples of platitudes include everything happens for a reason and God wouldn't give us more than we could handle. After the Columbine shooting, a new platitude entered the American lexicon. My thoughts and prayers are with the victims and their families. In religious and secular communities, offering positive thoughts and prayers to a person or a community experiencing suffering is a common practice, is a way to reach out and offer compassion. However, for many of us, thoughts and prayers has shifted to being less of an act of sincere compassion and instead the ultimate platitude. It is synonymous with inaction, particularly by politicians and public figures who want to honor the victims and survivors of mass shootings without addressing gun control. It's the people who say thoughts and prayers about natural disasters but don't want to talk about climate change. According to the congressional record, the phrase thoughts and prayers has been spoken on Capitol Hill over 4,455 times since 1995. That's almost every day that Congress has been in session. There are a number of images circulating on social media, you may have seen some of them, that critique thoughts and prayers. One image shows a garbage truck with thoughts and prayers imprinted on the side. Another shows an empty delivery truck that says, excellent news, your first truckload of thoughts and prayers has arrived. After the Pulse nightclub shooting, a clever, someone very clever created a thoughts and prayers online game. If you try to prevent a mass shooting by pressing the buttons think and pray, you move forward in the game. If you try to press a button that says ban assault weapons, you're rejected. Weak, the game yells at you, pray harder. If we believe that everyone who posts thoughts and prayers on social media is praying, this might be one of the most prayerful moments in our nation's history. So how come our prayers aren't working? What could be done differently so our prayers could work? I have an idea. I'm not an expert on prayer, but I do pray every day. About five years ago, I started my own daily prayer practice. At the end of each day, I pause and I pray. I offer prayers of gratitude and prayers of petition for people in my life and for myself, for my own hopes and desires. And I end my prayer practice with a prayer to listen to the beating of my heart and the flow of my thoughts. Sometimes I hear nothing and sometimes I feel a shift in me that affirms something I know to be true or guides me in a decision that I need to make. My prayers lead me to gratitude, compassion for myself and others, and most importantly, my prayers lead me to action. 
Prayer helps me to have the courage to make a way when it feels like there is no way. Prayer works when it is used as a spiritual practice for discernment and courage. In 2018, His Holiness the Dalai Lama tweeted, I am skeptical that prayers alone will achieve world peace. We need instead to be enthusiastic and self-confident in taking action. In 2013, Pope Francis said, prayer that doesn't lead to concrete action toward our brothers is fruitless and incomplete prayer. Prayer and action must always be profoundly united. It's possible that both of these holy men were inspired by another spiritual leader, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In 1954, Dr. King preached these words. Prayer is as natural to the human organism as the rising of the sun is to the cosmic order. Although prayer is native to man, there is the danger that he will misuse it. Dr. King goes on to say that prayer should always be viewed as a supplement, not a substitute. We should not rely solely on prayer to pass a test or to recover from illness. He preached that prayer was part of the work for civil rights, but that prayer alone would not bring about justice and freedom. In his sermon, Dr. King references a passage from the book of Exodus. Moses and the Israelites stand on the banks of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is closing in on them. The Israelites, terrified of what is to come, cry out to Moses. Was it because there, was no, there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses asked the Israelites to stand firm and be still, to trust in God that they will be safe and that there is a better future ahead. In that stillness, Moses and the Israelites cry out to God. They pray. And God responds, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Don't just pray. Do something. This week I learned from my colleague, the, the Rabbi Ben Langton, that rabbinic literature says that at this moment the Israelites looked at the water flummoxed. How are they supposed to move on? There was no land to move on to. One man named Nishon walked into the water, first to his ankle, then to his knee, then to his waist, and then to his chin. With each step he prayed. And only once he made a way, only once he was up to his chin, did the way appear and the waters parted and the Israelites crossed over. Prayer helps us to have the courage to make a way when it feels like there is no way ahead. Prayer works when we use it as a spiritual practice for discernment and courage. One of my great frustrations is that while it is so easy to know what is happening all over the world, it's nearly impossible to feel everything that is happening unless we have a direct conduit to the pain. And without feeling it, it's hard to be inspired to act. Prayer can help us feel what is happening. 
In early January, I was visiting with a patient. He speaks Spanish, so I had an, a medical interpreter with me. I explained my role to him, that I'm a spiritual care provider and that I was there to offer him spiritual support. And I asked him if there was anything I could do for him during this hospital admission. Pray for Puerto Rico, he said. Of course, I'm already praying for them, I said, smiling. But then it hit me. Do you know people who are in Puerto Rico now? Yes, the man said. My entire family is there, and I'm so afraid. I'm afraid that there'll be a tsunami or more earthquakes. Only God knows. That morning, I had heard about the earthquake briefly on the news, but with the fires in Australia and the frightening conflict with Iran, it remained in the realm of my thoughts and not my feelings. Now looking at this man who was confined to a hospital bed, in a hospital hospital where few of his caregivers spoke his language, the news fell into my heart. And although I could not feel it the same way as my patient, I did feel it. We prayed together. After our prayer, I realized that there were actions that I could take to help the people of Puerto Rico. I could donate money. I could listen to another news story to learn more about exactly what was happening. I could speak with my friends and colleagues about it to keep Puerto Rico in our minds and in our hearts. Prayers work not by eliminating our problems or sending some sort of magic love beam from our hearts to someone who's suffering. Prayers work when they are the spiritual practice that gives us clarity and courage to do what we know we need to do. Prayer helps us to stay sober. Prayer helps us to end relationships that need to end. Prayer gives us courage to go to the doctor when we would rather live in ignorance. Prayer helped our ancestors and our heroes to rise against injustice and evil. When there's a mass shooting or an earthquake, a forest fire or an impending war, prayer will only work if we work. Our prayers will work if we have the courage to move onto new ground and try something different. Craig Scott, whose sister Rachel died in the Columbine shooting, has dedicated his life to telling her story. He's told over 25 million people about his sister, about how she was kind, how she was compassionate, how she valued non-judgment. I think our story is a real eye-opener for some students going through a hard time, Craig said. They can look at me and tell me, I saw that you went through this, and look, you made something good out of it. I can get through what I'm going through. Today, Scott's personal goal is to be a big brother or mentor to any student who has been through a school shooting. He hopes to help them figure out a way to turn their pain into purpose. Two weeks ago, I sat here in the pews and I listened to Reverend Kim preach about our ability to change the ending. She asked us, will we decide to do something about our regret? Will we change the ending to reflect compassion and forgiveness rather than a conflagration of hatred and revenge? Today, I ask this. 
Can we change what it means to offer thoughts and prayers for one another? Can we make prayer in action? Let us claim prayer as a spiritual practice that reminds us that we are not hopeless and helpless, that we are not alone. Prayer is the moment we take as often as we need to to reconnect to the greater story of life in which we have an important role to play. My prayer for each of us is that the next time, the next time something tragic happens in our world, our nation, our country, and in our own lives, we don't just say the easiest thing. I pray that we feel what has happened, even if it hurts. Then, listen to what we can do, and do it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.